So the first thing I should tell you is that, yes, I'm aware of the time. Little kid said to his mom, uh, what does it mean when the preacher looks at his watch? And she said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing. So I'll, I'll, I'll try my best to see if we can, as they say, make up some time in the air. We were introduced last week to a man by the name of Nicodemus. And so in John chapter 3, it was a dark and stormy night when a very religious and a very moral man comes to see Jesus. And in this conversation that he has with Jesus, his life is changed, but you have to keep reading to figure that out. Because it's one of the few stories that we have in the Bible where someone meets Jesus and they walk away and we're not really sure of the outcome. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He believes that Jesus is a teacher sent from God. He believes that Jesus is doing the kind of things, the signs and wonders that could only be done from, by someone who has also come from God. And so Nicodemus, like all others who are watching what Jesus is doing, who are hearing what Jesus is saying, they want to know, are you the one that we've been waiting for or should we expect another? It's really fascinating to read through the gospel accounts and see how Jesus engages people because often he engages people on an emotional level. He meets people in places of pain. He meets people in places of, of, of despair without hope, and he, he gives them the very thing that they didn't even realize they needed or wanted. But with Nicodemus, Jesus doesn't engage him or meet him on an emotional level. He engages and meets him on an intellectual level. Jesus engages Nicodemus at the crossroad of thought, at the intersection of deliberation. Nicodemus is an educated, conservative, religious educator. He is a tenured teacher, and he is about to audit the course of his life. He is about to take a Ph.D.-level course taught by an itinerant rabbi, the son of a carpenter. And upon listening to what Jesus has to say, Nicodemus will inspire a song that will be later written and sung by Michael Jackson, Lady Gaga, Naomi Scott, Dan and Shay, and Beyonce. What is speechless? But Nicodemus isn't the first person in the Bible to have a conversation with God and become speechless. In the book of Job, there's this moment of incredible intrigue following a series of back-and-forth dialogue with God. Job, when he's talking to God about his current realities and he's hearing from God, there's this moment where Job is speechless. In fact, in Job 40, verse 3, Job answers and says, Behold, I realize now I am a man of small account. He says, What should I answer to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. 
I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. You know what he's saying? He says, I don't know what to say. Now, that's a really fancy way of saying, I don't know what to say. But Job, in the presence of God, upon hearing what God has to say, he says, I place my hand over my mouth. It's so intriguing and interesting to me that the same thing happens to Nicodemus when he is talking to God through Jesus. You've got questions, Nicodemus? Well, you're in luck because Jesus has answers. But they're not the kind of answers that you would expect from an unknown, uneducated, blue-collar guy from Galilee. Not at all. Let me show you something really interesting. This really comes out if you're using a red-letter edition of the Bible. Depending on what translation you're reading from, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus in verse 2, he says 26 words. 26 to 30, depending on your translation. And in verse 4, his second response is about 23 words. And in verse 9, his final response, he says about five words. And then he stops talking. He just stops talking. We could see this as a Job moment as, as he's hearing from Jesus and Nicodemus just places his hand over his mouth. He, he has nothing to say after the final response of Jesus. He stops talking and starts thinking. He stops, he stops this whole process. He's silent. He's speechless. He stops platicando and starts pondering. I had to get my alliteration in there. And the only way to do it was to go to Spanish. So, platicando means talking. There are some people, even some people here in this room, who are very uncomfortable with silence. Just very uncomfortable with it. Because you don't know what to do. And yet, there are some people here who your favorite sound and your favorite song is the sound of silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. There is no question that your spirit can be lifted with singing and praising and talking to God. In praise, we are proclaiming the power and the promises of God. But listen, there is a nourishment to your soul that you can only find in the margins of your words, in the spaces of your song, in the pause of your prayer. In praise and prayer, we're, we're petitioning for the provision of God according to His power and promises. In silence, we rest in the provision of God. We say, God, my only, my only recourse at this moment is to be silent and to rest in who you are because of who you are. And so, as you breathe in and as you breathe out, just a moment in your day, and you can do this anywhere, you're recognizing and remember, you breathe in and you're thinking, God is with me. And you're breathing out and you're saying, God is for me. And if you just did that a couple of times, if you just, if you breathe in and say, God is with me, and you breathe out and you say, God is for me, 
then what we come to realize in these moments of silence when we just want to stop and let God have to tell us what He needs to tell us, when God can open our eyes in these moments when we'll just stop and be silent and pause, we realize, oh man, that He is with us. And more than that, that because He's with us, He is for us. And the more we're able to stop and rest in this provision, to rest in His promise, to rest in His power, what we realize indeed that He has never been far from us. These moments of silence are what our souls need. Sometimes, like Nicodemus, We just need to stop talking and start listening. And ironically, I'm going to keep talking. There are three things that Nicodemus hears from Jesus. Look at verse 3. The first thing he hears is, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. That's the first thing he hears. The second thing he hears is in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then, I mean, by this time, Nicodemus is having a spiritual brain freeze. In verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, I want you to notice how each of these responses of Jesus begins with the words, truly, truly. Some of your Bibles may say verily, verily. And I would verily, verily, truly, truly like to work through each one of these. But I know truly, truly that if I verily, verily did that, you would truly, truly, verily, verily sleep. Well, how was the sermon today? Simply refreshing. So instead of blessing you with such a refreshing time of spiritual snoring, I just want to draw your attention to the thread that it's weaving its way through each of these statements of Jesus. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is what John places before us, that each one of us has to come to this moment in our life where we decide for ourselves who is Jesus and what has Jesus come into this world to accomplish. What you should see in these words of Jesus is Jesus telling Nicodemus, truly, truly, I am. I am the one. I'm teaching as if from God because I am from God. I'm doing these signs and wonders that only could be done from somebody who has come from God because I am God. But more than that, Nicodemus... We miss it. It's in the last part of that response that starts in verse 11, where Jesus says to him, but you do not receive our testimony. See? Jesus is telling Nicodemus, God is in front of you. Boy, this is such a watershed moment for a very religious and a very moral man. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, the only way you will enter into the kingdom is through me. So this is a call to belief, but it's a call to faith. And there is a difference. 
understand and hear what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, I implore that you hear it this morning. Jesus says, yes, I'm a teacher. I'm speaking the words of God. I'm speaking as one who has come from God because I am God. Jesus is saying, I am doing these things, these signs as one who comes from God because I am God. Jesus says, it's one thing to believe that I'm a good teacher. It's one thing to believe that I'm doing good things. But you need to move from belief in me as one of God, and you need to trust in me as God. Two different things. Jesus is imploring Nicodemus. He is, he is giving him something just so great to think about, but he's challenging him. You have to move from belief to trust. It's one thing to believe in Jesus, right? I mean, this is the starting point of our faith. But you have to encounter Jesus in such a way that you move from belief to trust because, after all, even the demons believe in Jesus. So it's not just a matter of, I believe in Jesus. That's the starting point of faith. It's a matter of, am I really going to trust Him? And so moving from belief to trust is seeing Jesus, is looking to Jesus as the only source of salvation. Moving from belief to trust is saying, God, I come to you based on the merit and righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Accept me as you would accept him. And Jesus gives a really intriguing, odd example to teach this lesson to Nicodemus. We haven't read it yet. It's in verse 14 where Jesus says to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. All right, this is one of those really interesting stories in the Old Testament. And Jesus is making reference to this to try to get Nicodemus to see who he's really talking to and what Nicodemus is going to have to do. Okay, so right quick, in Numbers 21, the children of Israel, they've become impatient, let's just say that, with their journey in the wilderness. Uh, we're in the car with the Incredibles, right? Because the people say, are we there yet? And Moses says, we'll get there when we get there, right? And some of you have even had this conversation. The Bible tells us that the impatience of the people, it leads to mumbling and grumbling and criticizing and complaining. And in verse 5, we read about how they complain against God and they complain against Moses. Verse 5 says they start to speak against God, they start to speak against Moses, and they say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt and to die in this wilderness? They say, here's what our complaint is, there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. In verse 6, the Lord sends fiery serpents among them, snakes. Why does it always have to be snakes? The Bible tells us that the serpents bite many people and many people died, and the arrival of the serpents suddenly puts everything into perspective for the people. Suddenly, the food isn't so worthless. Did we say loathe? We meant love. 
I'm fascinated by the idea of the serpents in the wilderness, which is their natural habitat. And that part of the protection that God is giving the people as they journey through this wilderness is He's protecting them from things such as serpents and snakes in the wilderness. And this whole notion that God has been doing this, but when the people say, you know what? We don't trust you anymore. We don't want to be led by you anymore. God says, okay. And the serpents slither in as they're sent. The serpents shock the people into repentance. They implore, Moses, would you pray for us? And if you look in your Bibles in verse 7, this is a foreshadow, these words. Oh, man, have we ever gone back to the future? Because the words of repentance that the people use in this moment are the same exact words that Jesus uses when He tells the story of the two sons. Of the younger son who comes back and what does he say? I have sinned against God and against you. In both instances, this, the snakes in Numbers 21 and the parable that Jesus tells, both instances, it's an issue of, God, I don't want to be led by you anymore. I want to seek my will, my fortune, my good outside of your will, the good that you can give me. And so Jesus uses those exact same words. And Moses does pray for the people. Boy, do you know what? God could have healed the people immediately. He could have. He could have driven the fiery serpents away with just the breath of His mouth. But instead, in verse 8, he gives Moses these instructions. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Do you see this? God could have just snapped his fingers, and the snakes could have been gone, and the people could have been healed. But instead, he instructs Moses. I mean, can you get this, how good this is? So suddenly Moses is out in the middle of the wilderness, and now he's an artisan, a blacksmith, a metal worker, and a contestant on Metal Shop Masters. You know, he gets his apron on, he gets his hood on, he gets his blowtorch, the welder. God tells Moses, make this thing. Make this thing. And by the way, this symbol survives today. Our medical profession uses a snake on a stick as the symbol of their profession. See, see you see this? God could have driven the snakes away. He could have healed the people immediately, but He doesn't do that. The people rejected God. The people returned to Him in repentance, but God says, yes, that's belief, but you've got to move from belief to trust. You have to respond in faith. That all the people have to do is look at the bronze servant. So listen, boy, it's one thing to believe, yeah, if I look at the snake on the pole, I'll be healed. It's another thing to turn your gaze to it and look at it. This is what Jesus is moving us towards. To move from belief what can happen to trust is what will happen if we'll only look. Nicodemus leaves. He retreats back into the dark and stormy light, night and Jesus lets him go. He lets him go. He doesn't, he doesn't call after him. And so there's, there's no word from Nicodemus. There's no word of Nicodemus. And if you look at the chapters in John as if they're mile markers, 
they go by, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. And in chapter 7, the people are divided. Jesus is teaching as one from God. He's working as one from God. And the Sabbath, the council, the Sanhedrin, the council is in, of 70 is in turmoil. And controversy erupts over who Jesus is because of what Jesus is doing. And the religious leaders are looking to kill Jesus. Huh. And in the moment of this horrible division, in the midst of this division, Nicodemus steps from the dark from the dark and stormy night. He steps right into the spotlight of the fury of the Sanhedrin. In John chapter 70, verse 50, he says, are we really the kind of people who are going to judge someone without first listening to him? And you know what their response is? Are you from Galilee as well? And the chapters as mile markers, they roll on the highway, they roll along. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. But something has changed. Oh. The religious leaders have succeeded. Jesus has been arrested, He has been tried, He has been condemned, He has been crucified. Jesus has been lifted up on a cross and staked into the hill of Golgotha. And in John chapter 19, Nicodemus along with Joseph of Arimathea moves from the shadow of the darkness of night into the shadow of the cross. I love this. Joseph comes and says, can I have the body of Jesus? And here comes Nicodemus again. And they want to care for the body of Jesus, as was the burial custom. And I love this moment because Nicodemus comes and the Bible says he's carrying 75 pounds of spices with him. Wow. I'm grateful that John decided to include the story of Nicodemus, and I'll tell you why. Because his story is one of a long arc of faith. I mean, we read of people who who come to him immediately and they follow him immediately and, and Nicodemus doesn't. He goes to think through, to ponder these questions of who Jesus is and, and what has Jesus done. Nicodemus encounters Jesus and he goes in his own way to work out in his own mind and his own heart whether he can move from belief to trust. So listen, I love this story. So don't despair if someone you know or someone you love has not yet come to faith. Don't despair if they don't have an immediate response. Don't despair. What we need to do is that we need to keep living our lives as people who have a relationship with Jesus, a people who seek in all things to lift Jesus up. Because ultimately, this becomes the evidence of moving in our own life from belief to faith. But more than this, living our lives as people who know Jesus and seeking to lift Him up, it's the only way to reach people. It's the only way to reach people. Because we're inviting people into the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus. And that's scary. 
that we're inviting people into the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus. So if there is no joy in our relationship with Christ, what are we inviting people to? If there's no hope, if there's no power, if there's no meaning, if there's no life, if there's no fruit, what is it that we're inviting people into? Church, we keep thinking that programs and personalities will reach people. And there are a few sample cases where this is true. But the trap is that programs and personalities make us dependent on programs and personalities. And the more we depend on programs and personalities, the less dependent we are on Jesus and lifting Him up for all to see. So I think there's a better way to reach people, and it's what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's what we're here for. That's the purpose of everything that we do, is to lift up Jesus, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Man, hallelujah! Right? Because that's within our reach. That's something that we can do. That the only way into the kingdom is to see Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, and the Savior. Not just a teacher. Not just a good man. I can believe that Jesus is a moral person and a good man and a good teacher, but when I stake my life on Him, my hopes and my dreams and my fears, I am moving from belief to faith. And just like Moses lifted up the serpent, just like Jesus was lifted up on the cross, we lift Him up as well. I don't know if you've noticed, but humanity has been bitten by the serpent of old, the devil. As Genesis 3 says, we have been bitten on the heel. But on the cross, Jesus Christ crushed the head of the serpent. The serpent's bite is painful, but it doesn't have to be fatal. When our eyes turn to Jesus on the cross, when our eyes turn to the God who comes to save, sorrow turns to joy, sadness turns to gladness, from darkness to light, from death to life, from venom to victory. And as He stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am His and He is mine bought with the precious blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, would Your Holy Spirit speak words of life to us, even in this moment of response, that wherever we are today, that Your Spirit is calling, is nudging, is pushing us. Maybe it's to believe but then from belief to faith. Because this all works out because you are with us and you are for us. And so we pray through Christ Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing together one more song and our shepherds are going to be up front and in the breaks. And Boy, if you want to receive Jesus Christ this morning, if you want to see Him as the one lifted up, if you want to see Him as the only source of salvation, we implore you to look to Him this morning.
If you need prayers, whether it's you want somebody to shout a hallelujah with you, to praise God for what He has done in your life and the good that He has brought to you. And if you just can't even wait to get down the aisle, just turn to the person next to you and say, man, i got to tell you something great that God has done. However we can help you this morning, respond in some way as we sing together.